air live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. We hope you're having a great afternoon. It's 503. Tiger is here producing. We're with you every weekday, 2 to 6, live and local. Mark and Melinda. One of the stories we've been discussing is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has filed a civil lawsuit against the Denton Public School District in North Texas, accusing them of breaking state election laws, uh, accusing them of using taxpayer resources for engaging in electioneering. That means trying to convince somebody to vote a certain way using taxpayer resources. And uh, this was the principal of a school and his wife, who happens to be a high-level administrator for the entire Denton School District that are being accused of doing this. Uh, In fact, at one point, the story in Texas Scorecard says the wife, who's a high-level administrator, was texting out sample ballots uh, showing people which Republicans to vote for in the primary. Uh, They're trying to get people to vote against Republicans who are pro choice in schools parental choice they're trying to get them beat in the primaries against the vouchers yeah sue is with us in south austin 504 hello sue how are you this afternoon i'm great thanks mark and melinda appreciate you being on i caught the tail end of the story when i started my drive home and the thought occurred to me that a principal and an administrator are influencing their staff to vote a certain way and are these people so mindless that they're going to listen to that and then i'm further perplexed that these are the people who are educating our children if they can't think for themselves how would we expect them to do any better for our children yeah those are all uh very important questions good questions Mm -hmm. some of these messages indicate sue uh we'll make sure that you're covered 100 percent if you need a day off to go vote and then it talks about what's at stake. And then we, we told you about the sample ballot they sent out, uh, which Republicans you should vote for in the primary who are against parental choice. And I'm going to guess this didn't sit well with everybody in that school district. And that's how it got found out, because someone said, this isn't right. They shouldn't be telling me who to vote for. Yet they're using school property, school Pers- uh, pr- professional emails to send this out. Exactly. And again, I'm glad that, that there was at least one person with a brain educating our children that was speaking up. But I have to say, I think that those two people need to be separated from employment as soon as possible. Yeah, I mm-hmm. have a hunch that uh, other people high up the food chain in that district were aware of what they were doing. Well, they probably got the email too, right? I would imagine so, yes. Did the, did the article say anything about it being on a group distribution email? I'm curious. Uh, no, they did not in the Texas scorecard. They they did not go that deep into it, Sue. I was going to say the one that was sent by the principal, it does say that it was sent to all staff at the school where he was principal. So then it would be subject to an open records request to see who all was impacted. Yes, uh, someone could could do that uh, to see the full extent of what they've been doing. Well, and then they could follow the food chain up the hill to whoever is higher in the administration of the school district then, right? 
Yes, that's that's the path that that you could follow. Sue, thank you. Have a good day and a great weekend. Yep, you too. Thank <laughs> you. you. Bye bye. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Brandy is in Leander with Mark and Melinda. Hello, Brandy. How are you? Hi. How are you? Great, Brandy. Welcome. Hey, so I wanted to comment um, about the very similar activity that I'm witnessing go on here um, with Leander ISD. Um, back in October, our school board even passed a resolution um, to support and promote a culture of voting. But you read through this, and um, they talk about how they're going to be sending out district communications to inform employees and eligible students. Um creating uh, a voter pledge program and incentivizing um, their staff to vote um, by allowing them to wear jeans if they have the I voted sticker, um, encouraging the the culture with um, other groups like, like PTA, which has traditionally been, um, you know, really against parental rights. And they have been sending out mass communication um, using their resources to staff, which they have, you know, like 5,000 staff on uh, hand, it goes to parents, that's how I received it, um, using their social media to create very similar posts, like what Denton has been doing, and they haven't done anything to clean up the sexually explicit material that's in our schools, and they've even, in fact, had to admit that they've been lying to the public about what the real capacity is in our schools, and right now, we're sitting with the equivalency of 10 empty elementary schools, and we just coerced all of us to pass a billion dollars worth of bonds to build more schools. Greeny, let me go back to the, the first part of this. Um, with the information or the, the mailings or the social media that is going out, is it strictly about go out and vote, just encouraging voting, or are they crossing and saying, here are the items that you should support or maybe even the candidates that you should support? Yeah, it very much alludes to, um, you know, the, the vouchers, and I, I know that that's a big issue for them. And then the links, they have a, um, a Leander ISD Votes website that all of this links back to. And there are very um, biased sources there. Um, and it's even in their resolution, the biased sources, teachthevote.org. And whenever you go there, you can see all of their partners, who they're partnering with. And they're not parental friendly. Interesting. Well, we appreciate that update, Brandy, and uh, we'll keep looking into that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, have a good day. 512-836-0590. Mike is in Round Rock at 510. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Yes, what are your thoughts, Mike? Well, we had the same, the similar thing happen when Prop A was on the ballot. We had a mandatory meeting that we were told multiple, multiple times of the two times that we had to come. And basically what it was, I sat through just propaganda to vote for Prop 8. No matter what you felt, if you're against it or for it, they were very clear, mandatory. Everyone on staff had to go there and watch their little video to tell us to vote for Prop 8. Now, what, uh, Mike, uh, so that everybody is following what you're saying, was this, do you work for a school or a district or... Yes, I work for a school. Okay, school. all right. And you said it was a mandatory meeting, and then uh, they presented content that was very one-sided? Absolutely, yes. Well, that, that does sound like electioneering, doesn't it? Well, yeah, they didn't. You didn't really, 
and then it, you know you, you couldn't really ask a question because it, it, it just you know when I saw it I was like this doesn't even make sense what they're saying and the, the way they did it they said well if you vote for it you get this raise if you don't vote vote for it you don't get this raise so they're basically saying hey you want you want your little three percent raise and it was it was ridiculous because the money that we were voting for had nothing to do with the raise it was basically you know you you vote for this give us this and we'll give you a little bit over here it, it was it just seemed it just seemed it didn't seem right at all did anybody I mean, I, like stop during the presentation and say hey do you, like what are you doing here <laughs> no you don't do that oh people are well people are afraid to to do that because they don't just you, you know, your next review will come up, and then they'll find a different person to work for you, I suppose. I don't know. I felt like saying that, but I just went back and didn't even vote because I was so sickened by it. Hmm. Mike, thank you, sir. You have a good afternoon and a great weekend. Well, and this attention that's being placed on Denton ISD, I, when I was reading it, I was wondering, I wonder how many school districts have been able to do, maybe not to this level where it was very blatant, hey, this is who you vote for, and but was doing something similar like what Mike is suggesting is done or maybe this vote Leander ISD vote page and nothing is ever said about it because one people want to keep their job or two they just don't know that that's wrong that it's against the law for Mm -hmm. these for the school district to do that very clearly illegal Spelled out uh, in very succinct terms. Here are the numbers, 512-836-0590. Also coming up just ahead on Mark and Melinda, uh, San Antonio Widow says the school district that employed her late husband is lying about how he died on the job at the high school. We'll get into that and more coming up just ahead. Mark and Melinda, 513 at KLBJ. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. State Attorney General Ken Paxton is filing a lawsuit against the Denton School District. He's accusing some of their top people of using taxpayer resources to coach school staff on how to vote in the upcoming Republican primary. Uh, They're being encouraged to vote for candidates who are opposed to parental choice. And now the state attorney general has filed a civil lawsuit trying to get them to stop what he says is electioneering, which is against Texas law. Andrew is in Georgetown with Mark and Melinda. Good afternoon, Andrew. Welcome. Hi, Mark and Melinda. Love the show. Listen every day. Thank Thank you. you. Welcome. Um, I teach in a school district on the north side of Austin that is currently having a bond called in May, and we had a meeting with our superintendent this week, and he was very clear about the fact that we cannot use district resources to influence anybody to vote. Um, we can only encourage people to go out and vote, but on while we're on contract time or if we're using district email, et cetera, uh, we cannot tell people how to vote or influence their vote in any way. So, that's good. It sounds like there's we're doing it the right way. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's more districts that need to take that as an example and use it. Yep. Yeah. We 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 hope the bond passes, and we want to don't want to do it for our kids, but you know our district is doing it the right way. Well, that's that's good that to hear, good, Andrew. Yeah. Um, and and that's the right way to go about it. We appreciate that. You have a good weekend. You as well. Thank you, okay. Andrew. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. The New York Post 
says a widow in San Antonio is accusing a school district of lying about how her husband died on the job at Brandeis High School in San Antonio. Now, Melinda and I told you about this story when it first emerged. The school district was very vague about how this veteran teacher died at school, 73 years old. In in one report, they said he was redirecting special needs students mm-hmm. and fell and hit his head and ultimately died. In another, they said he was trying to break up some kind of a fight or skirmish, and he fell back and hit his head and died. But now, Melinda, the wife of Fred Jimenez says they're lying about all of it, lying to the public. Well, and not only that, the Post said that they got an internal report that shows and gives a different version of events. And the report reads, employee was pushed by a student and fell, hitting his head. The wife adds to that saying it was a hulking student. I think they said he was over six feet tall and that he pushed him as they were trying to corral them into the gym. Yeah, this is a a group of special needs students. This man, uh, Mr. Fred Jimenez, was a 10-year veteran of working with special needs students at the Northside School District at Brandeis High School. And when this first emerged in the news, uh, Melinda and I had lots of questions. We were suspicious almost from the beginning because it said the school district police were investigating, but they didn't say much more about it. And their reluctance to go into detail just really brought about a lot of questions about what really happened here. Yeah, and the wording where they said he was redirecting a student and fell. Uh, that just seems very, it just seemed very far-fetched, like there was more to it. And it sounds like, yes, there was more to it. And according to his widow now, she said often he would come home, this 73-year-old man who ended up dying, who had been for decades working at this school with special needs, that he would come home with bruises or black eyes or cut up. And he just said the students, something just trickle, triggers them. They go off and there's no stopping them. And had many times said violence was rampant at this school. Yes, Underline that part. Violence was rampant at this high school in San Antonio. We've heard that before across America at public schools. Violence is rampant. Brockton High School near Boston, they want the National Guard to come in. Mm -hmm. Not only for the high school, but the middle school, because violence is rampant. Dozens of teachers now are saying, you've got to fix this or we're going to be leaving. They've had it. Yeah, and then you contrast today's revelation from the widow here uh, to yesterday or the day before there were reports in the news about a teachers union there that represents that San Antonio area in the district here that they put out a statement and said the villains in this story sit in the governor's mansion in the state capitol, far away from the consequences here. And they went on to say that this senseless tragedy didn't lie with Mr. Fred, the the guy who was killed. Uh, He did what he was exactly what he was supposed to. They also say the fault doesn't lie with the students whose needs have not been met. They're requesting that there's more training 
and that there are more rooms and I'm trying to think of how they exactly put this more comprehensive safety protocols tailored to the unique needs of each classroom setting because of the widespread access or the widespread mental health that we have going on. And again, I to me, this all comes back to these the, the these students this one again is one that was a special needs student i think about that poor woman that was just thrown around like a rag doll by a special needs student after she took his uh, electronic device yes. away yeah he he would have killed her are we pushing too hard or putting these staff members in harm's way by making sure that a special needs student is integrated as as much as possible into the daily ins and outs of classrooms with the other students? The answer appears to be yes in a number of cases. Yes. Uh, When they say that he needed more training, I question that. He was a 10-year veteran of working with special needs students, 10 years. And they say we need more staff Well, the very first report said there were three staff members right there on the scene trying to deal with these students. Yeah, part of the training they want is in de-escalation techniques. How do you de-escalate a situation like this where he's saying, okay, this is where y'all need to go. We're going to come into the gym this way. And he's pushed, falls and hits his head. Was there time to de-escalate that? Did he know a push was coming? And remember, uh, this man who's now dead was 73 years old, and he was dealing with what the widow describes as a hulking teenager who's over six feet tall. She says he is a really big kid. Yeah. The one who shoved my husband and made him smash his head against the wall. She said uh, that they did surgery on her husband's skull in an effort to relieve the pressure on his brain, but the damage was so extensive and severe My husband died last week, Mm. and she is now just flat out saying in the New York Post, the school district lied to me, and they're lying to the public about how my husband died at the hands of this student. Yeah, and when you go back and you read the statements that were put out by the district, they seem like they're adequate enough for thinking, okay, he he died because he fell. When you put into context what they actually wrote in their internal reports about him being pushed, um, and that was the reason for this, it is very hollow of this district to write out this report about that and then for these teachers' unions to say, oh, we grieve this loss, but... Not anybody's fault here. My next question is, is police are investigating this as a homicide. Do charges come? Perhaps they should. They may very well be warranted. I'm going to be surprised if they do file a criminal charge against this student. Uh, It could be a case, though, where he needs to be charged with a crime. Or even if he's not charged with the crime, the effort that they did to make sure that they did not make it look like a kid caused this. Yeah, a kid was in the area, but he, Mr. Fred fell and hit his head. 
do they even have any kind of school punishment for that? Yeah, these these are key questions, and the school district uh, is not addressing them. And it's yet another case where our people working in the schools are physically assaulted or attacked. This one, the 73-year-old man, very loving man, lost his life trying to work at a public school. Mm-hmm. 512-836-0590. Get in here and join the discussion. It's Mark and Melinda on KLBJ. And now back to the Mark and Melinda show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. It is 531. Tiger is here producing, and this is Travis joining us on KLBJ. Good afternoon, Travis. Welcome. Okay, good uh, afternoon. Um, the reason I'm calling is because I'm a school teacher in the Austin area, and in 2019, I was working in a school district where I myself had a student um, attack me, and there's certain protocols that we have to follow and things that we're supposed to do, but sometimes when it's, uh, it's my personal thought, like when, te- when students attack you in ways that you didn't get the kind of training in, for example, like this student jumped on top of me, grabbed the back of my... Um, belt buckle loop and he held on for dear life and so then he proceeded to um you know swing and hit me and all this sort of thing and and so um and one of the things that i've uh, eventually um there was an investigation it all came down and and um and i was exonerated from it because the student attacked me but the but the thing that that i am <clears throat> noticing is that especially in the special ed uh, world is that more and more um students that may otherwise need to go in a different learning environment because of their um, behavior. Yes. Are, are the district want to try to, you know, be all things to all people and try to help them and make it feel inclusive in a regular school environment when maybe that's not the best environment for them and they need to have either a separate location or maybe some of them need to go to um, a state location. But a lot of these districts are, are fearing, in my opinion, you know, reprisal um, because it looks like we're sending them off to, you know, mental institutions when really we're just trying to give them the best opportunity and sometimes that environment with, you know, the regular public school may not be the best one. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it is a case-by-case basis, and depending on the child's needs, I think there are some that can integrate with zero problems whatsoever, but there are others that are a bit more extreme that cannot, and we need to not force that to happen. Travis, in the case of the student who attacked you, uh, were there any consequences for that student? Uh, no, he didn't get any consequences because um, he, he was um, nonverbal. But sometimes the consequences are relative to like, like some of these kids may, you know, they may be six foot five and really strong, but they have a mental state of a second grader. And so sometimes their consequences are relative to, you know, how how they uh, come across. So a good example would be like when the kids get in trouble and they found out their buddy had drugs in the car and all they did was drive them home, they both get pulled over and well, they both get a consequence but his buddy with the drugs had a bigger consequence than the kid who was just riding in the car. Well, I don't always agree with that because because the kid um, who's bigger can cause a lot of um, harm and a lot of um, injury to the to the teacher or anybody that works in the, um, the that school in there. And and so then, what do we do when the um, student is um, is a danger to everybody else? But maybe he's at a um, 
that maybe he's intellectually disabled or he has severe autism, but he can, you know, he's high functioning and and he emotionally explodes at any anything from hello to hey I'm not in a good mood today to that you just looked at him and they attack you and then at that point you're like well there should be some consequences relative to what happened versus oh he he didn't know what he was doing and I just have a hard time with that because then it doesn't it's not fair to the um, to the teacher or to the staff member that got injured because they feel like hey that student's kind of getting off what they did and not getting the correct consequence even though, you know, it may be sad to see, uh, uh, you know, a senior in high school who has mental faculties of a second grader and being hauled off by the police. Travis, thank you, sir. Yes, there, there should be some sort of consequences if physical violence is inflicted on a teacher or a staff member. Travis, thank you. You have a good one. I agree. I, I do think that you do know that you're not supposed to put your hands on someone else, period. And I don't care where you are mentally, you know that. And it should not be wiped away if you do. There should be a consequence for it. Let's go to Laura in Leander with Mark and Melinda. Good afternoon, Laura. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. I was um, listening to you on the radio, and, and this is uh, something that I've actually been studying quite a bit in our district here in Leander. So um, from what, the, what Travis was saying, in my opinion, you know, what he's saying is, is very accurate. Um, for example, in our district, we have something called uh, restorative discipline. And that's the policy of the district. Yes. And so if, if you're familiar with the restorative justice that happens, you know, uh, in the civil area of law, then in the criminal area of law, it's similar to that where basically there is no longer any type of punishment because it's considered to be a punitive um, act, mm-hmm. you know, against the student. And so I'll tell you right now, in regards to the uh, SPED, it is it is you know, not the teachers. I think the teachers are doing everything they possibly can. Um, and depending on the student, you know, themselves, you know, that just may be something that um, they cannot control. Um, but it's the district, in my opinion. These policies, we've gone from being in 2019 having 4.2% of our uh, student population having one or more discipline incidents um, as of 2023, we were at 9.7%. So it's a huge increase in discipline issues in our district. And I've had conversations with, um, you know, the administration on this and, and, and trying to understand, you know, how can this not be a top priority issue? I mean, that, that's a significant increase. What are we doing to lower this? And the conversations that I had with them, I was very disappointed because in their mind, any kind of discipline um, is punitive. And, and, and in my opinion, that is, that's not right, when it, especially when it comes to, um, you know, physical violence. Kids need to learn that every single choice they make has a consequence. And those need to start immediately and they they need to be uh, they need to stair step and increase, but it seems like from what I'm hearing, it, it's you know they wait until it actually becomes a huge issue, and and then they you know they do something like you know Leo or something like that, 
And in my opinion, you need to start small and, and start showing consequences to choices that are made. Oh, I agree. And Laura, since you know a little bit about it, for some reason, I'm under the impression not only you just cited the increase in the the problems that are happening, but it seems like there's also an increase in the number of students that are being put into a SPED program or is is labeled that way that they need. Um, and I don't know the terminology that the school used, but they, they have certain areas that they fall under that are need more attention than well again that 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 is at the district level and so that is like for example in our district the the reason that that's happening is because the district has chosen to go in the direction of DEI which is diversity equity and inclusion and so in their mind that means every single student um, needs to have the opportunities that every other student has which you know of course we want that i mean that's the ideal situation where every everybody but if my issue comes in when we're talking about physical violence um and i think mark mentioned that earlier you know if if a child just has issues um you know there are behavioral um then then yes you want you want to integrate them as much as possible because every life has value and every student has value and every student has potential but when you take that so far where you have a child that is being physically aggressive or physically violent towards others, then you're taking away the learning opportunities for the other child. And, and so then you've, you've basically um, created a situation where, where nobody's getting what they really should be getting. Um, you know, one of the issues that we have in our district is we have, it's even it has a term now, it's called tossing, which is when a student loses um, their their composure and they just start ripping up a, a, a classroom. Well, the policy is not that you remove the student. The policy is that you remove all the other students and give that student time to calm down. So what are you doing? You're basically removing learning time from the other students in the class for this one student to have time to calm down. Mm -hmm. Laura, thank you. We appreciate that. You have a good day. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah, we've talked about that before on on our show where that is happening. Um, And and I'm not sure, I I know I didn't ask my question right, but to me it seems like there is an increase in, in the amount of students that are now being labeled um what is they have some code that they call it where they have special needs yes um that have to be met by the staff and and that's what why do we have an increase in more students needing special requirements um than we did in years past are we just becoming more educated on this are we Uh, Just doing blanket across the board. This is, well, if you show that you're hyper, then Mm -hmm. we need to make accommodations for that. It could be a a number of factors that are contributing to that, but it is increasing. You're right. It it is going up. Uh, John is in Belton with Mark and Melinda. Welcome, John. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. Love y'all. Love the show. Thank you. Welcome. I understand uh, your wife is a teacher in special ed. Is that right? Well, 
No, correction on that. She was okay. in the junior high level in Georgetown ISD, and she would come home with the same stories of bruised, bitten, spit on, hit, and there was zero repercussions and zero uh, protection for her. Uh, she's been out of the game for about eight years. She couldn't do it anymore. And I guarantee you this is over ISDs, not just around here, but everywhere, all over the nation. And the big term that the last lady said is the DEI, the inclusion. They want these students to be included when they have no business being around other people, adults, children. And if somebody looked into it, I guarantee you they would find that these school districts sweep these under the roads. They, they've got kids who are being assaulted. They've got teachers who are being assaulted and there's nothing they can do about it. And they hide behind the privacy of the, of them being a juvenile. What went through your mind when you heard us talking about this widow in San Antonio saying they're lying about how her husband died at the hands of a student? I believe, I, I guarantee you that there is more to it than what's being put out. And, uh, I, I, probably would venture to guess he was assaulted and the and the schools are trying to cover it up for they again to for protection john thank you sir you have a good evening and a great weekend 512-836-0590 it's mark and melinda with you on klbj and now back to the mark and melinda show streaming live on the news radio klbj app one of the stories we're discussing with you right now is out of San Antonio, where a widow says the school district where her late husband worked is lying about how he died at school. Margot Jimenez is telling the New York Post that initially the school said that your husband fell, but she says, now I know that he was pushed. He was pushed by a student who's over six feet tall, a very big kid, and my husband hit his head and hit his head so hard that he had severe brain damage and the surgeons could not save his life. And my husband died as a result of being pushed against that wall by the really big student. And the article says that they have received or obtained the internal report that say just that. In fact, the report reads employee was pushed by a student and fell hitting his head. Um, this is the first that we are seeing that be said because after this happened, a lot of the reporting was, well, he was redirecting a kid and he fell. They made it sound as on his own. There was nobody else involved. He just fell and he hit his head. And it seemed very odd when the reporting first came out, just the way that they worded it. And now to have this report... Uh, that says it was pushed by a student and fell and hit his head, this school district should be ashamed of themselves because not only did they lie to us, that's one thing, but to lie to the widow. Mm-hmm. Yes. He was 73 years old. He had been a special ed teacher for 10 years at the Northside Independent School District in San Antonio. He's not new to the job. Mm-mm. He had been handling these kind of situations for 10 years, and now he's dead. She says she lost her son last year, and now her husband is gone. Oh. It's Poor heartbreaking. Lady. Yeah, it's devastating. Uh, so that's in the New York Post. We're discussing it with you at 512-836-0590. Uh, Brent is calling from Lubbock. Brent, uh, welcome back. You're a school administrator in the Lubbock area. Uh, welcome. What are your thoughts this afternoon? 
Hey guys, yeah, we, I, I talked to y'all a couple of, or maybe last week, a couple of weeks ago. We were kind of on the same topic, and and the the whole root problem goes back down to these district attorneys who are not willing to do anything at all to uh, any of these juvenile offenders. And part of the problem is that these juvenile facilities are so full of kids that are running around with guns. Uh, that are causing a lot of violent crime on the streets. And so they have to kind of prioritize what they're going to do with these, with these students. It's like, oh, if you push us, if you push a teacher, then, well, we're going to let you go. We don't want to put you in jail for pushing a teacher. The problem is a lot of these school districts have the, um, um, mission statement of we're getting you life ready and career ready. Mm-hmm. What they don't, what they don't, or what they're failing to like ignore is that if I let a kid push a teacher or assault a teacher and they don't get arrested for it, there's nothing about getting that kid life ready at all. Because as soon as they turn 18 and they do that same thing to a cop, they're going to jail. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a sad thing. School districts are very good at pushing stuff like this under the rug and making it look like they're doing all the right things for this DEI or, you know, we're doing the right things to keep the kids out of the prison uh, school, the prison pipeline or, or whatever. Uh, and so they will push things like this under the rug uh, whenever uh, people get assaulted. I, I told you last time I got assaulted. Uh, I was My face got literally broken by a student, and the district attorney up here didn't do anything at all because they wanted to do the, the, the thing from the heart. Oh, we want to, you know, the kids suffered enough. They, they serve trauma. They've had a lot of trauma in their life. They're really, you know, they, they've had a hard time. So they've suffered enough. Let's just let them go on this. And that's kind of the general, uh, you know, attitude. And it's, it's not doing any favors for our kids at all. Well, Brent, let me ask you this. Is there... <clears throat> different reactions when it involves a kid with special needs compared to a kid that does not have special needs? Yeah, yeah. So if a kid without special needs punches someone in the face, they're going to be arrested. Uh, They're going to be charged with a crime, and they'll they'll stand in line with all the other criminals to try to, you know, for the DA to get them through. Uh, like I said, there's a backlog, so it's really hard for them to do that. But if they're special education kids, uh, oh, well, it's not in their control. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's just their disability. So, uh, you know, let's... Even let's in a case basic- like this that yep. ended in a man's yep. death. Uh, look, I got cold caught by a kid. It knocked me out. I was out of work for a month. It broke my face. Mm. literally broke my face and uh nothing happened to the kid nothing because he's special education and i see the administration of my school district i love them to death they do a great job and they really do care for the kids but it's gone to the other extreme the pendulum has swung so far to the extreme that they're not doing anything about it at all and people are suffering for it, like this employee, like me, like others. And then they wonder why the morale is so low and why the teacher retention rates are so low. It's because you're not doing anything. 
Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask you uh, if you're losing teachers over this issue. I would imagine you are. Oh, yeah, we are losing teachers, and we don't pay them enough as it is, although I'm not a big proponent of paying teachers more. Uh, it, it's just what it is. I mean, they, the morale is low. Teachers do a lot, and nothing nothing happens to these kids that are assaulting teachers because they're special education students. And I get it. I don't want to put a kid in jail. I don't want a kid to get in trouble if they have a disability, right? I can't see the kid who has mental illness. He's not on crutches. He's not in a wheelchair. It's hard for me to see their disability. Mm -hmm. But they still know right from wrong. Yes. And they still need to be taught that there is a societal norm for what's right and what's wrong. And we're not doing them any favors by skipping over that. Well said, Brent. Thank Mm -hmm. you for checking in from Lubbock. We appreciate it, sir. Have a great weekend. Thanks, y'all, too. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. 512-836-0590. Cedar Park, Michael is with us now. 555. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? I'm I'm doing good, and and I want to commend all the teachers that, that are out there trying to help kids, but my... Uh, I had a daughter, my daughter is uh, a rule follower, right? And she, she gets highly uh, animated when other students do not uh, follow rules, right? And, and so she, she's been uh, deemed like anger management, right? And so <clears throat> the, uh, it's very difficult trying to navigate from that when you know she she was deemed that in first grade and now she's in fifth grade and she's she was in the office a bunch uh just because uh other students wouldn't follow directions and it would it would anger her right and she would tell the teacher and then she noticed the teachers would not uh, act on it or whatever and so she would just she was probably one of the ones that would uh go all out and they would clear the classroom because she would throw a chair or something. And so I'm, I'm a parent where she, she does respond to, um, discipline, but they would not discipline her in a, in a sense to make her stop and, and make her understand that, um, that's not going to be accepted when, when she does it. Now, uh, she's, she, she has grown out of it and, and she's a very well student now, but it, it was a difficult time when she, she was younger. I would imagine so, Michael, uh, glad to hear that she's better, growing yeah. out of that and doing better, Michael. Thank you. We appreciate it. I, the frustration though, um, I'll set aside the last part of that where she would get so frustrated that she felt she needed to act out. But someone who's there to learn and wants other kids to do what they're supposed to do so that they all can learn together. I can't imagine the frustration of these kids that go and continuously have the disruption after the disruption. Mm-hmm. Many times we talk about the teachers, but it's the students being affected as well. Mm-hmm. No question about it. You have a great weekend, Melinda. Thank you, you too. Tiger, super job. We thank all of you for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. We're here every day, 2 to 6, Mark and Melinda.